You're listening to the Carterville Church Life Podcast. I love our church family, and I hope that you do too. Our goal is that the episodes of this podcast would keep us connected and focused while we're scattered for our week on missions together. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear today. Hey, church family. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you tuned in. In today's episode of the podcast, I want to focus our attention again on Matthew's gospel. As we prepare our hearts for Easter, which is just barely over a month away, I want us to appreciate the depth of what Jesus has done for us. So we're working through the gospel's material, and today we are in Matthew chapter 26. I want to read about Jesus' trial before uh, the, the high priest. And I want us to appreciate what he was accused of. And it actually sort of matters for me as a religious person who's following Jesus 2,000 years after this to reflect back on who was accusing him and why. So let's read. Verse 57. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward. The mention of two witnesses would be important because in Jewish law you needed two witnesses to corroborate in order to believe that they had a a valid testimony. So here's two witnesses. And they declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remains silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. I'll pause just to point out that that's a biblical reference to Daniel chapter 7, which we'll read in a few weeks. Then the high priest tore his clothes, and he said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face. They struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? The thing that strikes me as I process this court scene in the middle of the night. Keep in mind, this would have happened clearly in the dark. He was arrested in the evening. He'll be before Pilate. Before the sun comes up, he'll be on a cross at nine in the morning, which I think is a very appropriate setting for this kind of trial because, to be honest with you, it looks like a mockery of justice. Obviously, the high priest and the Sanhedrin already have their will bent against Jesus. So you have basically a judge and jury, a courtroom that's not looking for justice, but rather is looking to force its own will against Jesus. So you have a mockery of of justice, unfortunately. 
you have false witnesses coming forward accusing him of things that are untrue. It's amazing to me when I think about the weight of ju- the justice system when it's broken, when people aren't served by accurate witnesses and by a system that should work evenly and blindly and not show favoritism. When I feel the frustration of that, then I think about Jesus himself standing in a system just like that. And I remember we have a good high priest who can intercede for us. But what really gets me here is that the people who are giving him the trial should have great wisdom and a great sense of justice because this is the chief priest and the religious leaders. And so here I am 2,000 years later as a religious leader, and I just want to look in the mirror and I want to make sure that I don't ever find myself in their footsteps so determined um, to protect my authority to protect my reputation, to defend a certain status quo, to stay in control, uh, that I would ever close my eyes to God or his justice and do something like this. And I realize that the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus are, are, are determined from the foundation of the world, that Christ had to die on the cross. But I still lean into this text to learn. And I watch these religious people who could have missed their Messiah. And I ask, why do they miss him? Why do they hate him? Why were they so jealous? The scripture mentions that they were super jealous. Uh, I think a lot of what's happening here is a challenge of authority. The high priest and the Sanhedrin are in charge of the temple, and Jesus is not bending his will towards theirs, and they're not willing to bend their will towards his. Uh, And he's come not to take their side, but to take over for God's sake. Anyway, so I don't ever want to see us as religious people acting like this poor judge and jury, the high priest and the Sanhedrin. So just introspect and just look inside. Just ask yourself, you know, am I defending my own world, my own authority, my sovereignty, my rule, or my religion or my understanding of the control of, uh, of our church or some space in our church like the high priest and the Sanhedrin? Or am I still submitted fully to the rule of Jesus, to the rule of God, to the movement of the Holy Spirit in the church and in the structures that I'm comfortable with? So it blows my mind that the high priest is actually running this mock trial. Blows my mind and breaks my heart. What are the accusations against Jesus? Well, the two things that come up here are two two false witnesses came forward to say that Jesus spoke against the temple. And they actually are saying something that seems true. We read elsewhere in the gospel that Jesus actually did say uh, that he is able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. We don't find that in Matthew's gospel. We find that in John's gospel. Uh, but that's a that's a true statement from Jesus. And these witnesses knew he said that. Now, they totally misunderstood what he was saying. He's actually prophesying about his own crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, which is about to take place. That's what will be rebuilt in three days. That's the true temple where the Spirit of God truly lives, is in Christ and now in the body of Christ, his church, uh, not just in the edifices that we build, not just the architecture and the not not our churches and not their temple. Like the true home of God is was in Christ and is in us. And so, you know, when Jesus is saying that, he's he's challenging them in a way that they're not capable of understanding. But he did say that in John chapter 2. The other thing, though, is that that actually is reflective of a whole lot of what Jesus said against the temple because Jesus did speak harsh words against the temple. He he told the disciples when they were impressed at the size of the stones that not one of those stones would be left on another. And it was true. In 40 years, 70 AD, all of those stones would be torn down because Jesus judged the temple negatively when he flipped 
the tables over of the money changers and stopped the worship of God in the temple for a moment. Uh, he condemned the temple in some of his parables when he likened it to a vineyard that would not give God any of the fruit and even accused the people in charge of the temple, the, the chief priests, the high priests, the Sanhedrin leaders, the Levites, the priests themselves of not of, of abusing the witnesses that God sent to ask for his own fruit. That would have been the prophets of old. That would have been people who stood up for righteousness. And now even Jesus saying, you know, they say to themselves, we'll kill the son and we'll inherit the whole thing. Jesus told the, um, the people not to act like the leaders of the temple or the Pharisees you know, who slammed the door of the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. He, he told people to do what they say, but don't do what they do. He called them sons of hell. Like he's really, really strong. He said that they devour widows' houses and they say their prayers for a show. Okay, so... Jesus said a lot of things against the temple leaders and against the temple, and I just want to. So I, I guess I'm I'm saying there's some truth in what what these two false witnesses said. Now that being that being the case, I would like to have seen the high priest and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the Pharisees listen to Jesus's condemnation of the temple and repent and heal it and see it fixed instead of become determined to protect it at all costs, even if it was not in step with the Spirit of God. And I'd like to encourage us to, to think the same way, that like that we want to move with Jesus. And so when, when Christ speaks to us, if we ever find that our traditions or customs or the things that we're building you know, are for ourselves and not for His sake, that we would take His counsel and that we would correct ourselves, that we would that we would bend our knee to Jesus and not have the same prideful, strong determination that the chief priests and the high priest and the Sadducees, Sanhedrin, and Pharisees had. This this is a powerful little echo of Daniel seven here, when Jesus says, "You'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven." They called him a blasphemer for that. That was a second accusation against him, um, that he would that he was a blasphemer because he was calling himself the Son of God, because he was calling himself the Messiah because he was calling himself the one that would sit beside the Ancient of Days in Daniel's vision. But the reality is he was speaking the truth. He, he truly is a member of the Trinity, and he truly is the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who sits at the right hand of the Almighty. He is the vision from Daniel 7, but they rejected his truth. So he was killed for being a blasphemer. He was killed for speaking against the temple. And I just want us to feel the weight of those accusations. On the one hand, he was not a blasphemer. He was speaking the absolute truth, and that is the crux of our faith. Just as Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? I end this podcast by asking us, who do we say that he is? The high priest said he was a blasphemer, and they killed him for it, convinced that they were serving God by cleansing themselves of a blasphemer, when in fact he was speaking the very words of God. Who is Jesus to you? We need to be, we need to be very, very clear on that. Church family, I love you, and as Easter approaches, I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be ready to celebrate the resurrection. If this episode of the podcast or any other one is encouraging to you, well, I'd love to see you make a comment. I'd love to see you like it. I'd love to see you share it with folks so that it's easier to find uh, these snippets from God's Word. I love you, gang, and I can't wait to see you on Sunday. God bless you.